Amen. If we could have our young people go off to Children's Church. Miss Brooke has got an awesome day for you guys. He's in a hurry. He's going to get there. <laughs> I love it. Wouldn't you love to see grown-ups run to church and fall in, right? It'd be awesome. We're like, oh, i got to go to church. But uh, as we're getting uh, settled in here, we're going to be starting into a new series called Being the Church. And I just love the worship songs that uh, Rod and Sandra put together uh, for this morning and about being the bride of Christ. And I want you to think about that idea of not just you individually. We talk about our faith individually, but there, there is something so much more potent to your individual faith. And that is being part of the body of Christ. Aren't you glad you get to go to church today? I want us to start this morning with a video to kick this off. Almost all the churches in the Bible drift and get screwed up. Paul tells the Galatians, he goes, who bewitched you? What happened to you guys? Because I feel like I wasted a lot of time with you. And you read the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and he's like telling the Corinthians, what is wrong with you guys? I heard there's divisions among you. He was like, some are saying, I follow this guy, this guy, this guy. He goes, was I crucified for you? Why are you following me? Did I tell you it was about Jesus? He's like, did you guys sue each other seriously? I, I hear that there's immorality in the church and you're proud of it. I hear that people are getting drunk during communion. I'm drunk. Communion. Really? I hear that some of you don't even believe in the resurrection anymore. What in the world are you kidding me right now? And so I'm reading about all of these churches that drift. And we can look and go, yeah, the church in Ephesus, yeah, the church in Laodicea, yeah, the church in Galatia, yeah, the church in Corinth. Hey, what about us? What about the church in America? Do we really think we're one of the good ones? In America, we have buildings that we call churches, and you go to them. And you sit for an hour, hour and a half, and someone teaches you a message. And then if you don't like it, you can go to the church down the street. That doesn't make sense biblically. You don't think about that. It's not about you. You don't go, I didn't like it, I didn't like it, I didn't like this. You go for Him. Because we're concerned about what pleases Him. That's what the Catholics were supposed to be. Do you think the high angels in Revelation 4 saying holy, 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 at the end of the day go, I didn't really like it today. They got it. We are so self-centered. When's the last time you made a decision based upon Him where you go, what would please you most? What would make you happiest? Because you're my God, you're my master. You know what would please you? Is he says, the, the ones who actually tremble at his word. You know what? Let's grab a couple friends and let's just read the word and tremble at it. Let's read through the book of Revelation. Let's just get together and read it. We don't need a great speaker. Let's just read it. 
and trouble at it because his words are so much higher than mine. He wants us devoted to prayer. Let's get together and let's just seek his presence and see what happens. That actually is more exciting to me. That's more exciting. See, see what we did in the church was no one showing up for prayer meeting. Well, then let's change the prayer meeting. Let's make it shorter. Let's bring in a band. Let's bring in a speaker. And we'll say a few minutes of prayer so we still call it prayer meeting. Let's change the prayer meeting. And now I'm at an age where I go, you know what? No, let's change your heart. Why don't you want to go to prayer? It's not the problem with the service. The problem is you. Do you not understand who he is? Do you not understand the price that was paid so that I can come to his presence and I'm talking to the one that's keeping us all alive right now? And he can change everything. How is that not exciting to you? Something's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with the prayer meeting. I think we'd be blown away if we simplified and went back to early church. We read it. Don't you read about Acts 2? Oh, I wish I lived there. Where they just devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread. We have an opportunity right now at this time in history. I'm so pumped about it. But it's time to change the church and say, you know what? Enough of this consumer garbage. I'm going to devote myself to these things because I think it's going to actually become better as we strip away all these things we think we need. Wow. Being the church. And I... uh, Last couple of weeks, I'll never forget, it was the beginning of last week, and I literally, when I was getting out of the bed, said, Lord, I, I need your help. <laughs> I mean, we always need his help, but how many of you know, when you kind of have a revelation in a moment where you go, God, I need you. I don't have it all figured out. I, I need your help. I desperately need your help. Amen. And I mean as a pastor, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. And God is breaking me and kind of giving a revelation to me that this church, as much as I personally sweat and bled and cried over this church and the building and everything and people, that God is to be glorified and that we're the body of Christ. We're his body today. And so when I speak to you today, I speak from my heart and understanding that as we kind of really get deep into this, I think we're going to see change in our own lives. That it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. We came here to worship the Savior together. Shall we open the prayer? Father, I just thank you today that we are the church and that you called us to be the body of Christ. And God, even greater than that, God, we're your bride. And Lord, when you return, when you bring us to you, we're going to be a spotless bride without wrinkle and without spot and without blemish. And Lord, I thank you today that even today that we're being perfected in our faith, that we're growing from glory to glory, that we can learn and as we worship God and as we commune with you, that we can hear your Spirit speaking. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here among us right now as we gather together, not just to do church, but God actually to be impacted and our hearts changed. That we can see our gifts being manifested that you've given to us. 
Now we can see, God, at this church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, you founded the church, and you died for this church. You died for the church at large. You died for the church, Father. And I thank you for the passion, God, that you had, the zeal for your Father's house. And God, I pray that the same kind of zeal would overcome us, and that we would have a zeal for each other, a zeal for the body, that when one hurts, we hurt. And when one is happy, we're happy. And God, we can all grow in and through that. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I wanted to intro this, if I would have copied and pasted this on my computer, it would have taken me a while. But I wanted to talk about church. They like Jesus, but not the church. Have you ever heard that quote before? I would like to say that they really haven't even met Jesus, because if you got in tune with Jesus, the real Jesus that walked around the earth, the real Jesus, the Jesus who walked around in Jerusalem, I think people were highly offended and confused by Jesus, weren't they? The crowd showed up to Jesus, and Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no part for me, and everybody scratched their head. They didn't see this Jesus that they're talking about. The Sunday assembly is hip, this writer writes, Contemporary congregation in the heart of central London, it is filled with progressive and passionate and idealistic attendees. The congregation sings along to contemporary music. The messages are given, social gatherings, offerings, kids clubs, midweek small groups, and social justice projects for the community. The Sunday assembly, however, is not your typical church. It is a church for atheists. The Sunday Assembly started as an idea of two Londoners who wanted to enjoy church without belief. The Sunday Assembly distances itself from the militant atheists, instead preferring a friendly, accepting culture. While the movement is theology-free, it intuitively gathers around the values of tolerance, progressive values, and personal development. The London congregation quickly outgrew their 300-seat space, and since 2013, 480 congregations have been planted out of London in key cities across the Western world. The movement has struck a chord with many millennial attendees. Its global conference called Wonder features leadership workshops, advice on planting from a former pastor and planter turned atheist, and help on growing healthy congregation from the son of a prominent Christian author and speaker has moved from being a progressive Christian to a humanist atheist. Spearheading the rational behind this new kind of atheist gathering is a philosopher and best-selling author, Ellen DeBotton's book, Religion for Atheists. DeBotton argues, like many of the attendees of the atheist church, that contemporary culture is an alienating place. Not that church was alienating, but contemporary culture was alienating. While these congregants disagreed with faith, they felt that contemporary culture lacked the communal and institutional benefits that church and community of faith brought. One of the great mantras of church strategy in the West has been that people like Jesus, but they didn't like the church. This was a mantra for many who were seeking to make Christianity relevant. Now, this new atheist church movement has turned this maxim on its head. These people did not like Jesus, but they liked church. While the original congregation in London has stayed strong, its plants across the globe are smaller. Time will tell whether the growth of the atheist church movement has traction. In the 19th century, atheist philosopher August Comte launched a movement of unbelieving congregation. However, most of his congregations struggled to last beyond a single generation. The Sunday Assembly faces the same challenge. 
faced by religious communities of disengaged, radical individualism. However, the appearance of the Sunday Assembly points towards the essence of our post-Christian culture. That is, the desire to retain elements of Christianity while still moving past it. That was an awful lot of stuff there. But the crazy thing is, they're having church, they're having community gatherings, they're having wonder conferences, finding ways to incorporate culture. Folks, I want to tell you today that we can all go out today, we can mow lawns, and we can do cute little things for community. They have community quilting clubs and pie sales. But folks, that doesn't make church. It doesn't make church. It's a feel-good thing. We can have fun. We can say, well, wasn't that cute? But Christ is not glorified. It's not fulfilling the Great Commission, which God says to make disciples of all nations. See, the Western world, with its rugged individualism, and I want to preach heavy today against an individualistic faith mindset, which means this, essentially, the Steve Lapism. Can we do a Lapism real quick? I have these Steveisms I'll do, and they're funny little words I come up with out of the middle of nowhere. Quentin knows of Dubshay, I tell him all of them. But it's simply this, that you can somehow formalize your own little faith and take a few, few things from Scripture that you like, take out the things you don't like, and you can create your custom faith. And that is so anti-God, it's unbelievable. It is born completely out of humanism. It's born completely out of the idea that we have this deistic thought where God is out here in space and he's kind of good, but he needs to improve me because I'm the point. Turn to someone and say, you're not the point. <laughs> someone tell Dougie. Dougie's all alone over there. Why church? Why church? Turn to someone and say, why church? It does break my heart to hear, oh, that's, that's the body of Christ that worked there. Give it up. No, seriously. That's fantastic. By the way, wait, I need to back this up a little bit, Rod. We, we, had, we had a really cool thing happen. So last week we had Christiana here with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend texts me this week, and he says, hey, Steve, I heard about you got projects going on at the church and everything. He said, I'd like to get together with you and see how I might help you. Isn't that kind of neat? So come to find out, I was talking to Tyler. We met over here this last week. I said, well, let's meet at the church. Let's see what you talk. Because for me, you know, it's kind of that pride thing. If someone says they want to help, you're, what's your first knee jerk? It's kind of like, we got it covered, right? You know, and so that's kind of me at first. And I'm like, well, wait. And I was talking to Ann and... And it's kind of like that's what church is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be is be a help and be a, be a service. So I come to find out Tyler is in charge of the Young Marys and College and Career Group over at Heartland Church in Rockford. Now, if you don't know this, Heartland has blessed our socks off. Every week you get a blessing because you sit at chairs and you sit at a table and you enjoy coffee. That was All that whole cafe was donated by Heartland Church. Pretty amazing. All the coffee machines we have, donated by Heartland Church. The chairs, they were literally almost brand new. When they moved into their new facility at Colonial Village, they needed, obviously, everything freshened up and stuff. So, come to find out, we, we got part of that list, and it was awesome. Sean was able to hook us up and, uh, and get us those tables and chairs. It was cool. Because when we were building this, I love that faith statement, you know, you build the plane as you fly. Have you ever heard that? You say that before. 
But we came in here and we're like, we want to have a cafe and stuff for people to hang out. And we didn't have any furniture in that. But we wanted a cafe. How many know it's not a good cafe without coffee? <laughs> and here they donated. And by the way, downstairs we have more coffee. We had coffee machines coming out our ears. We can literally have coffee in every room in this place. Yeah. Right, except there. So here's what Tyler does. He comes here and he says, not you, Tyler, but the other Tyler. <laughs> but Tyler comes here, we're talking, and he says, you know what? We've got about 30 people want to get involved. And he said, I told him about the, he heard about our baseboards project. So the next thing you want to do is do these baseboards, uh, caulk them, do all sorts of things. And he says, you know what we want to do? Because, you know, every Sunday I come in here and I look at these things. Anybody like that, Bonnie? Anybody, you know? So, but we look at this and it bothers me and I look at things I want to fix up and all that. And, and so he says, we want to do this. Wow. I said, cool. And then Tyler takes the lead and we're standing right here. He said, do you mind if I pray for your church? We pray together right now for your church. This is another church, you know. They got bigger, better things to do, right? More fish to fry than that. And yet they want to be a blessing to the church. He said, I love what you're doing over here on Auburn Street, what's going on. This church is beautiful and everything that's happening here. He, he wanted to bless us. Amen. So why church? Because the one thing that breaks my heart, and I hear this, is people being disenfranchised with church. Can I, can I get you to raise your hand? This is an honest thing. Have you ever been hurt by anyone in any church? Please raise your hand. And this is an honest thing. If you haven't been hurt in the church, let me hurt you really quick. No, <laughs> You will be, is my point. Because every one of us has had something that someone has done to wrong us. They might not have done it on purpose. They might have done it accidentally. They might have said something. There might have been whatever it was. I don't know what it was. And I mean this in all due respect, but I don't even care what the story is. Here's what I encourage you to do. If you are lacking in your intensity for church focus, then you need to go get forgiveness, okay? Can I get an amen there? Amen. You need to seek that person out, seek the individual out and say, please forgive me. I've been holding a grudge against you and I am so sorry because it's affecting my relationship to God and how I cohabitate with my fellow Christians in church. We've all been hurt in the church. I went through a season where I had nothing but an axe to grind about a local church. And every time that name came up, every time something was said, I always had something extremely negative to say about that person in that church and that pastor. Anybody ever said that before? We're all real here. We're family. So see, the problem wasn't the church. The problem was me. And you heard the funny statement, if you go to a perfect church, you need to get out quick because you're going to mess the whole church up. But it does break my heart to hear, and again, this is a Western problem. This is a Western society issue because we're individualistic in our faith and everything that we do. We really don't gravitate towards church anymore. In fact, the large majority, I think it's a ridiculous number, like 80%. 80% of kids, when they turn 18, never go back to church. To never see church again. And so it's really important for us. It's relevant. Church will always be relevant. Church, the body of Christ, will always be here. God will always have his remnant of people. But what's happening is, because I believe what happens is, when, when parents don't really 
pour that ide ideology into the church. See, we grew up, me and Ann grew up, I'm going all over Rabbit Trail Central, but when me and Ann grew up, church wasn't an option. You went to church. My parents went to church. It was something that we did. It was something that we grew in. And I don't want to get into the religious idea of church because it's more than attendance. I want you to get into my heart of what I'm saying here. It's not you just plopping in a chair and you checking off. My parents were always just engrossed in church and serving church. I think that's part of the problem is that people don't pour in and sacrifice in the church and they don't have any stock in the church. I think that's a bigger issue. And we create church now with the idea of you come here and like we consume. So we just eat it and we're spoon fed it. And then we go back out. So there's nobody we talk to really. There's nobody we're invested in. There's nothing that we're centering our life around the church. And really what I'm very proud of in our, in our home and what I was born and raised and what Anne was born and raised in, we are proud of the heritage that God has given to us and that church life is it for us. But it breaks my heart to see people. I remember there was church leaders. These guys were cell group leaders for me when I was in high school. So they were my leaders. These are leaders. These aren't just Jim Bob walking down the street and kind of going to church, kind of not going to church. These are people that are just locked in to see them. And I'll ask them, hey, where do you go to church? I haven't seen them in years. They don't go. Okay. So you're going to start going? That's like my next question. I don't mind. You're going to start going because you're wrong. But we've created in Western society the idea that I can be a believer in Christ and not lock into the body of Christ. That somehow they're separate. Let me re-educate you. They are not separate. They are together. When Jesus came to earth, when he was bringing the flock in, he came first to the Jews and then the Gentiles. He was bringing them back into the house. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. He came to his flock. Now you can pray to God and you can have ice cream with someone in a social event, but that is not church. People have their reasons, and every one of us has had their reasons. I've been offended. They did this, and they did that. And without sending your reverend, I want to tell you today it's time to let that church go. Let the pastor go. Let the people go. Let what you didn't like go. Say, God, forgive me for this is ruining the opportunity to have life in Jesus Christ. The Zoe that God commands for us. Amen. Sam Alberry writes this. Nowadays, we tend to think that the basic unit of all reality is me. And everything else is defined in relation to me. So what we do is we say, well, this works for me. See, church shouldn't work for you. You should work for the church. Church shouldn't be something that you just come to and you're just saying, well, that worked for me. Just like the video said, I love how Francis Chan said it. He said, no, no, this is something you pour out to, that you become a part of, that you serve, and that you grow, and that you do. I love it. Damien's not here today, but I love it. Damien, this last couple weeks, he has become the go-to guy with stuff. 
Damien painting things and doing things. Him and my dad just diving in. I, it's so sad because my dad never gets mentioned. But my dad does everything around here when it comes to snow. When you walked up those steps and you didn't slip on them, it was because of my dad. Let's give my dad a hand. And if that's not part dad, that was not in the notes. I promise you can check them. But all of you, and many people in here, I don't want to trust everyone, but it was amazing. I saw Jim down this week for men's group, and you know, he's sacrificing himself. I told him when I got home, I go, do you know what time he got to church? 4.30? If I wasn't a believer, I'd say he was busting his you-know-what. Sit in the kitchen. So we can get fatter. Yeah. <laughs> Don't remain nameless, but the nameless women who pray over this church every week. Fight for us, for me and my family. Somebody gave me and Ann a crazy gift two weeks ago. We opened it up and we stood in my living room. We said, What, what is this? What is this? How can we get to the point in our faith in Western society where we just go, at this church? How can we get here? How do we get here? How do we get to the point where the body of Christ was optional? How did we get to the point where work was more important? Do you know my mom and I were talking? And I'm going to get all the logistics of law, and people always get into all this. Sabbath, uh, it's the New Testament, or blah, blah, blah. Not getting into that with you. But there was a time in American society where we actually rested. Even the religious heathens understood it. Even the people who weren't necessarily born again, but they had an identification with general faith. They understood that today was a day where we rested. I love what Sam Alberry writes. He said, this is one of the reasons why church matters so much. I once heard it said that there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place, given that God is everywhere. But there is such a thing as a church-forsaken place. For a region to be without a church means that it does not have the access it needs to the truth of God's goodness and love. Lacking a church is not the equivalent to lacking a supermarket or a movie theater. It is like lacking a hospital or a source of water. It is an utter necessity. 
is not some kind of thing. You don't have an equivalence of like, well, we need a supermarket here. You know, we all talk about indicators of a good town and good entertainment. Do you know what makes a great town? Do you know what the idea behind Rockford and what can make Rockford so great is we got so many good churches in this town. Like Bible-believing people who are in love with Jesus Christ, white-hot in love with Jesus. So many opportunities. We have churches, and it's great, that literally step in and literally have literally held up District 205. Heartless, one of them. We've got other churches like Rock Church who have gotten involved even with this neighborhood. Like our church has dove into the poverty division. Folks, without the church, Rockford is hopeless. This, we don't need more money. We don't need more money. And you know what so, I so feel so proud of with our church? You know what's awesome? You know, I was reading a George Barner research article on church attendance. And although attendance is down, it's widely known that, do you know, 50% of all born-again believers in America, do you know what size church they go to? A church just like this one. 100 people or less, over 50% of Americans attend a church, 100 or less. Do you know the megachurches? And I'm not knocking megachurches. All I'm just saying is, by and large, I need you to look at this church as bigger than what it is. That's what I want you to see. But he said it's like 7% of Americans go to a church 1,000 people or more. You would think all the born-again believers are going to a megachurch now. They're not. And the point is, is that we're not the equivalent to a supermarket or a rotary club. We hold the gospel, the secret words, the mysteries of faith, the truth where Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Amen. That's what we hold. That's what we declare, and that's what Rockford has. Do we got work to do in the church? Absolutely. But until Jesus Christ returns, this church won't be perfect. Until Christ returns, we will mess it up. How many messed up things in the last couple weeks around your house? I want to challenge you today. This is an encouragement. This is an admonishment to make church necessary to you once again. And what do I mean by church? I again mean the body of Christ. Make the inner workings of what church is to you. If this church is your home, then make it your home. Make it your home. For too long, we've prioritized work and fun and business and church. And I get it. We have seasons of, of craziness. I always think of the farmer. And you know, when the farmer's getting his fields taken care of, that farmer's got to get things done. Can I get an Amen. You're going to have seasons that happen in your life. I get all of that. But at the end of the day, make sure that that straight and narrow, your life comes into agreement. Do you know why? Because certain days on Sundays here, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit's power comes down and speaks. There might be a word of prophecy. That's where the gifts and the body of Christ come together. There might be a words of encouragement. There might be a tongue, an interpretation of tongues. That might happen here. And not just might, it does. But I ask you today, just thinking about this in your heart, is this body your priority? And you say, well, how do I make church my necessity? Because maybe right now you have all your options and all your things you're doing and your life's busy. Blah, blah, blah. 
I challenge you this week to pray for your church. To make church a necessity again, you actually have to be thinking about that being a necessity in your life. Maybe you pray for the church. Maybe you intertwine yourself with a couple people in this church this week. Maybe it's through women's Bible study or men's Bible study. We have so many options for you. It's unbelievable. And a lot of people come to me, why don't we do this and why don't we do that? And I always say, you do it! You do it! Come to me with all your ideas. I'm a bivocational pastor. I run a business and I run a church. Don't ask me how I do it, but I do it. But there's plenty for you to get involved with right now. You don't need any more busy. You don't need more stuff. You need to lock into what stuff there is. Psalm 122.1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. Amen. We're going to start running like Charlie on next week, aren't we? <laughs> Let's get started in the Old Testament, shall we? Like I'm a New Testament believer. Well, there's the old and the new, so you've got to be a part of it all. When the Israelites were freed from Egypt, God brought the people together to the foot of Mount Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness, and there while Moses met with God, the author goes on to write, God spoke to his people as his chosen people and identified them as uniquely belonging to him. And that's what you are, folks. Commissioned for his service. God also gave them his law by which they would live and be rescued people. The law served to define them, just like this Bible, the law, the book of God, defines me. Culture doesn't define Steve or what its persuasions are currently in 2019. Do you know how fickle culture is? That if you're following the crowd, if you're following the media, you're going to be as lost as the person standing next to you in the crowd. But if you follow the word of God... And you say, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You will be the most secure person in this world. That's not part of this. The Bible later looks back on this gathering as being a prototype church. I want you to know that theologically speaking. That was the prototype church. The New Testament writers refer to this time, use the very same word, ecclesia. Everyone say ecclesia. To describe what is happening at Sinai. This is how you should picture our gatherings here at church. Real quick, turn in Hebrews chapter 12 and you're going to get really excited. Are you ready to get excited? I'm excited. I'm pumped up, man. I was getting butterflies before worship. See, picture these gatherings. As all of us coming together, not to hear a good song that we used to hear growing up, not to hear that one message that we've been waiting to hear, but to commune with God, to meet God. Not meet Steve, not meet Joe, not meet Anita, to meet God. We forget sometimes in how obvious church has become and how it's become part of our mundane task that we actually come to church as a body of believers to fellowship and commune with God. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. I love this call to listen to God. This is where we get ecclesia, or church, or churching. 
You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's commands. Even an animal touches the mountain and must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight of that that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that the only unshakable things will remain. Since we receive a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. See, there is a reverential fear and awe that should come over us when we come into the house of God together. And what should be tingling in your ear, the sensation should be God and having a sensitivity in your heart to say, God, I am focused on one thing that I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you, God. When you come next Sunday, I pray that you'll have a more keen awareness, that you actually start praying, God, do something, stir something in me. Maybe God uses you this week in the body of Christ to speak forth the things of God and bringing people to the holy mountain. We come to this house, this fellowship, with a holy reverence and awe to hear God himself. Folks, I want us all to make this declaration, and I don't want to make it quietly. I want us to be really loud when we say it. Are you ready for this? You're going to declare this morning. I came here to hear God speak. Are you ready? One, two, three. I came here to hear God speak. Awesome. The other thing I want you to say is I came here to worship the King of Kings. Are you ready, all of us? One, two, three, go. I came here to worship the King of Kings. Ecclesia. So the next time someone tells you, I don't need church. I don't need that stuff. You tell them Ecclesia. Say you need church. Next time someone comes to you and says, you know what, it's all good, and I'm watching my cute little podcast, and we go to the cute little cafe, and we talk about Jesus. Folks, that's not Ecclesia! A Christian, by definition, has a connection and a responsibility to other Christians. You can't claim Christ and avoid His people. We can't claim Christ and keep avoiding his people. People get so upset and rubbed wrong and people offend this and people offend that. Get over yourself and get involved with the people. You might have combative moments. 
You might have moments of disagreement. That has always been the same in the church, and it always will be. Get involved and start serving, and you will see so far beyond it because you'll say, this is Ecclesia. You cannot claim Christ and avoid his people. You're talking to this one guy. He said, hey, you go to church? No, my church is this. I go out fishing and I look up in the clouds and the sky and I see God and I give him a big thumbs up. It's great. It's cute. But you're not connected to the body. You know why people avoid church too, other than they just don't like church and people? Who doesn't? Is they don't want to be accountable to anything. We don't want to be accountable to nothing. You know, people say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about church. There's a ton of scripture. Timothy, read your Bible once and see. But you know what they avoid? They, they, they don't want discipline. Do you know they don't want to have someone correct them? Heaven forbid a brother and sister in Christ. Do you know the Bible teaches on how to correct our brothers and sisters? It does. The proper way, the proper way. People don't like that because they don't want no one checking them down. We are stubborn people, aren't we? Turn to someone and say, boy, you're stubborn. We are stubborn people. And I don't know if you know this, the older we get, the more stubborn we become. We're stubborn. We don't like accountability. See, when you start to serve and get involved with things and get involved with the body of Christ, you actually have to be at things and you have to get involved with things and your things have to take a back seat. And now your house doesn't look like it's out of Kirkland's anymore because you didn't have time to back him inside because you've got to go to church and back him inside. Can I get it? Amen. <laughs> You know why? Because you made the body of Christ priority. Fully on you. Who prioritized your own house while God's house is in despair. Fully on you. Who dump all your money and all your funds and your latest project. You have a five-year-old oven. It's okay that it doesn't talk to you when you cook. Put your money in the kingdom of God. Save some people with it. Hold on to your own for five more years. Your car is fine. I've got a roll of duct tape for you. I'm telling you, it'll hold your car together. <laughs> Ecclesia. You cannot claim Christ and avoid his people. Jesus didn't. Say, I love Jesus. Just me and Jesus, brother. That is the dumbest statement in the world. You and Jesus, what is that supposed to mean? The Jesus I know died for his church. Yeah, he died for individuals, but he died for his church. Me and Jesus. Jesus is going to take you into the church. <laughs> Everybody happy still? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.
I love this. It's a beautiful demonstration. And this is, I should have read this at the beginning. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. That's the fivefold ministry gift right there. We need every one of them. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Equipping people to do God's work. In other words, not that the pastor does everything and chases every rabbit trail in the church, but that he equips his people to get involved with the work of the church. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up the full and complete standard of Christ. And I love this, and this is what he says. Then we will no longer be immature like children. How many want to be mature in here? Good verse to read. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, everyone say it, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full in love. People, it's ecclesia. Don't ever let someone lie to you and tell you that I'm really not involved with church. I really don't need church. What I would suggest you do is pray for that person, especially if they're a believer, and hound them until they get their butts back in church. Hound them! If they're your friend. Because good friends will allow you to hound them. Neglecting the church, by the way, we don't want to hear this, is like neglecting Jesus. Neglecting the church is like neglecting Jesus. Doing church in your bedroom isn't starting to look so good, the author writes. Folks, what separates the church from the world? And by the way, when I talk about the church... I'm talking about the blood-bought church that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ and Him risen. Do you know, it's funny, when we were, the kids were smaller, Emily and them, they would ask, we would drive by churches and we'd say, Dad, is that a good church? How many know every church on the side of the road is not a good church? You make sure that that church is preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and you understand, they understand what the gospel is. We look at some of these churches and I'm like, oh my goodness, what a mess that church is. So you be careful and use discernment and understanding that. Just don't tell people to get involved with church. They will get swallowed up in the mess. There's cults out there and everything else going on. Finding a blood-bought church is very important. What separates the church from the world? A.W. Tozer writes, says, Here's the dividing line that separates Christianity from all occultism and from every kind of oriental cult, ancient or modern. These are built around the same ideas, varying only in minor details each with its own peculiar set of phrases and apparently vying with each other with vagueness and obscurity. They each advise, get in tune with the infinite or wake the giant within you. Tune into your hidden potentialities or learn to think creativity, creatively. All this may have some fleeting value as psychological shot in the arm, but its results are not permanent because at its best it builds its hope upon the fallen nature of man and knows no invasion from above. And whatever may be said in its favor, it most certainly is not Christianity. Here's what Christianity does. Christianity takes for granted the absence of any self-help 
and offers a power that is nothing less than the power of God. This power is to come upon powerless men as a gentle but resistless invasion from another world bringing moral potency infinitely beyond anything that might be stirred up from within. This power is sufficient. No additional help is needed. No auxiliary source of spiritual energy. For it is the Holy Spirit of God come to where the weakness lay to supply power and grace to meet the moral need. Isn't that amazing? We have the self-help people that say, Awaken the inner giant. That's what we're hearing. Oprah, you get it every day with Oprah. Awaken that giant, that good person in you. And yet Christianity is not into the self-help. Christianity says... We are completely powerless, and we are sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. See, people don't like to hear that they're sinners. But we were born in sin. And Christianity preaches that there was a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died over 2,000 years ago for your sins and my sins and the sins of all mankind. We are powerless without the blood of Jesus Christ in this church today. This church, by the way, is not built on self-help principles and gimmicks. If you want this life, Jesus declares. He says, come and follow me. And this is the way to life, is through the cross. The way to this life, he must increase and I must increase. There's a beautiful boldness that occurs in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Let me be so bold to declare this. You take the church out of the world... And this world is completely hopeless. And when the rapture happens and God takes his people, now is when it's going to get really fun in the world. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. You guys did know Jesus is returning, right? I hope you're looking for that. Amen. Some of us are waiting for a utopian society or somehow that cultures will get it, will get the right political people in there, and the world will be perfect. Can I tell you, this world keeps getting crazier and crazier because we keep upsetting structure after structure without God. First Timothy 3.15 says, So that if I am delayed... You will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Folks, one of the things the world has that it or needs that it doesn't have is it needs the truth of God's Spirit and through Jesus Christ. It's amazing the world is looking for truth. What's your truth and what's my truth? And if it's your truth, well, if that worked for you, good. We're really into that kind of personalized thing, aren't we? What's your truth? Well, I really find inner peace when I go hug a tree and pet frogs. I really feel good about myself. I have truth for you. There is no other name under heaven by which you must say. I have the truth for you. That no matter how happy you think you are, It'll never be enough, and you'll never find the wholeness and the happiness. And although your little yoga pose for an hour a day might give you a little bit of good health for you, it will never change your life!
The function of the church is to support and transmit to the world the truth that God has revealed. We are God's voice to this world. If there is no voice to this world, there is no hope. How can people get saved without a preacher, the Bible declares? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus declares. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall... The truth is an example to this neighborhood. And I pray that as we entrench more and have new ideas coming in of creative ways for us to say, God, how do we invade this neighborhood? What do we do? Do you know what a really good thing for us to do would be? And these are all things as God is ramping me up and changing me, saying, Steve, I don't want you to be complacent. No matter how pretty your church gets, it won't be enough. You need to be involved with people and praying for people. You need to get the dirt in the neighborhoods inside of these pews. That's what you need. We pray for this neighborhood. The church is an example to this neighborhood. This church should be an example to the entire neighborhood around about us. The church ought to never take on the complexion of the age in which it lives, A.W. Tozer writes. The church is separated from the age in which it lived morally as Jesus Christ was separated from Rome. The church should be a separated people. Folks, let me tell you something. Encourage you as you're growing in your faith with Christ. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. People flippantly throw that verse around. But let me tell you something. When that fear and trembling comes in there... And you start really defining your faith in Christ and saying, God, am I separated from the world or am I more looking like the world? And I admonish all of us believers today to say, God, what areas of my life am I not separated? The Bible declares, be ye separate. Jesus was separate from Rome. And the culture of Rome of today is not unlike what America is today. I'm really concerned for America where we've gone with our morality and the decisions that we have made and the Supreme Court decisions that have been made for this nation. And a lot of them have not been the majority vote in the first place. They've been handed down by judges. But I'm really concerned of America being like Babylon or like Rome where we die from within. Because of our morality, or shall I say our immorality, And I dare say the church, Jesus said he's coming to judge the house of God first. So again, I'm not so concerned with the darkness out there. I'm concerned with the darkness creeping in here in our hearts. That Lord, are we separate? Are we other? Are we walking in tune and step? Because Jesus said, I I was offense. You're going to be offense. And you know why? It's not because we point out everyone else's sin. It's because our life is patterned differently. Folks, you are a city on a hill and a light. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. I want you to think of yourself as a creative minority in this place. We always separate people into groups. and I'm a minority and I'm this. I want you to know today that if you're walking according to God's word, and you've made this Bible the very thing you've pressed your life on, you are definitely in the minority. (laughs) But I read this beautiful chapter 
on St. Benedict and what he did. Because I'm not here to change laws. That's not my job. But I am here to hopefully change people's hearts through the power of the Spirit. And St. Benedict did something amazing. And I want you to read this and then we're going to go into our altar call time. But it says, Jesus attracted crowds. However, Gordon McDonald reminds us that Jesus did little to encourage spectators to stick around in a crowd formation. Frequently, he seems to have downsized it by enlarging on what it costs to be a servant of the real kingdom. The lightweights soon dispersed. We see this approach in the strategy of St. Benedict, who found himself in the midst of a Europe that was in chaos following the fall of the Roman Empire. The structures and the institutions that had afforded an era of peace and stability were now gone, and with it, learning and order. As chaos grew, St. Benedict withdrew and focused on creating a kind of resilient disciple through monasteries. Benedict placed a challenge before those who would enter his monasteries. There was a high bar. He preferred a few who were committed rather than a crowd who were lax. The commitment of a few would be a foundation upon which to renew a culture. The centrality of life devoted to Christ would be the foundation upon which to rebuild. Benedict's monastic retreat could seem like a disengagement from society, but it possessed a missional purpose. In the swirl of cultural and social disorder, these ordered, Christ-centered communities became a kind of oasis. Benedict's monasteries were a spiritual alternative to the castle strongholds that warlords were erecting across Europe in response to the chaos. Christian historian Christopher Dawson observes that Benedict's monasteries operated as an alternative to the clashness and tribalism that surrounding culture had reverted to. The monasteries became centers of learning, which preserved much of the classical knowledge that was being lost. The order of the monasteries, their value of work and vocation, their stability, their high moral standards, made them attractive places in which trades and business began to flourish. The monasteries were deeply missional and spread across Europe, offering a visual and living witness of what the Christian and community could look like. John Henry Newman likened St. Benedict's monasteries to a kind of revolution of silent men who quietly got on with their job of rejuvenating the culture behind the scenes in the most mundane of ways. He finishes with this. He writes, St. Benedict found the world physical and social in ruins, and his mission was to restore it. There was no one who could contend or cried out or drew attention with what's going on, but by degrees the woody swamp began to... Uh, Hermitage, a religious house, a farm, an abbey, a village, a seminary, a school of learning, and a city. By going deep with a few, living by code, submitting themselves to God, dwelling in scripture, and quietly living out the kingdom, the community that gathered around Benedict became magnetic. This wasn't pitch attractive because it promised immediate benefits. This was something different. Folks, I want to tell you something. Our little small community here can do an awful lot to the larger community. And if we would get focused with our daily discipleship and with the discovery of the body of Christ that God has planted with you with to be a part of, with all of our imperfections, with all of our shortcomings, how many know we are just not perfect? And it's okay. But it's one of those things where we understand like St. Benedict is we come together and we say, you know what? I want my life to be an honor to God. And I want those around me to see the light of his gospel. Amen. Are you ready for that? Yes. Yeah. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? 
I want you to think of the power of a creative minority. The power of people. It was said of the disciples that these unlearned men turn this world upside down. In the world in which God has placed you, I believe God wants to bring order to chaos. And maybe today, the body of Christ, you haven't looked at the body of Christ like that. It's been more like a service to you. And God is calling you to deeper and greater things. To be a part of the fellowship. To be a part of what God is speaking to you here locally at this church. This isn't to drum up attendance or numbers. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with my heart as a shepherd to say to you that if you're not plugged into the body, I, I beg you to get plugged in. I beg you to get restored. I plead with you. Find Christ in the body. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what? God is calling me to commit in a different place now. This isn't about signing up for things. This is simply for you to say, man, I'm committing to this. It's bigger than me. It's not about me. Today, would you do that with me? Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you, if that's you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died for the body. That you died for me. And God, I pray as you poured your life into me, I want to pour my life into those around me. Lord, give me burdens for people in this place. Help me, God, to insert myself to become part of this body at a deeper level. I ask you, God, give me a heart of flesh. Help me to bleed with people. Help me to cry with people. Help me to step out in areas where I wouldn't have stepped out before. Lord, may you increase so I may decrease. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the church you've given me. Amen. Folks, I love you so much. We're being the church. We're becoming the church. And I love, I love, I love what God is doing here in this congregation. So we will ecclesia this week. Amen. 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 Have a good week. Love you guys so much.